Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. It is not God who kills children, not fate that butchers them or destiny that feeds them to the dogs. It's us only us. And that is the way this incredible documentary film opens. The film is called Hunger Ward, and the director is Sky Fitzgerald. It's about the ongoing humanitarian disaster that is happening right in front of our eyes in Yemen. The backdrop for this tragedy is a civil war slash clash of religions, clash of money and power, and so many other things that has left this country devastated. Again, the film is called Hunger Ward, and we're joined today by shortlisted Oscar-nominated filmmaker Sky Fitzgerald. Well, I think you're calling the third in a trilogy of films, uh, 50 Feet from Syria, Lifeboat, and now this one, uh, Hunger Ward. Is that fair? Am I saying that correctly? This is a trilogy of films? What drew you to this particular uh, part of uh, your your storytelling trilogy? Well, um, the, the entire uh, trilogy is really founded on this idea of global displacement, right? You know, how how is it that um, nearly 80 million people at this moment in time are, are displaced, are no longer living in their homes? That's, you know, close to 1% of the world's population. And one of the places that, that where the situation is the worst because people are internally displaced is Yemen. Um, and, and so, you know, it, it, once we started to do our due diligence and really study the how and the why of it, um, one essential question sort of emerged for me as a filmmaker and, and as a human being, frankly, and that was, how is it that a child in, in 2020, 2021 can die of starvation? Right. With all the global resources that we have, how is it that a 10 year old girl can weigh 24 pounds? And one, one of the, the girls that we worked with extensively did, was 10 and did weigh 24 pounds. And that was the essential question that I, that I wanted to explore. Um, however, we could within all of the challenges that existed in working in a conflict zone. What was your entry point into Yemen? Did you have resources there? Did you know people? what sort of the logistics of getting into a country that has been since 2015 in the midst of, as we talked, as I said earlier, a brutal and bloody war. Yeah, it's, um, it was delicate. Every step of the way it was delicate um, because, you know, it, it is a conflict zone. And even as recently as um, about six weeks ago, there was a missile attack on, on the, pri- the only commercial airport open in the country in the south of the country in Aden. And um, you know, it was hit by by missiles, and dozens of people were killed. And so, um, gaining access is sort of twofold, right? One is just getting permission to be there at all, because if you enter the country illegally, you'll immediately either be imprisoned um, with very little um, agency to free yourself from uh, a Yemeni prison, or you're immediately deported. Um, and so, so you really have to work on the diplomatic front really carefully just to get permission to be there. And that, that's, a, that's a parallel process, actually, because 
The south of the country is held by the globally recognized Hadi government supported by Saudi Arabia and recognized by most countries in the world. And, and um, they have an embassy in DC. And so you have to sort of, um, sort of uh, engage with them to see if they'll one, give you permission to enter the country, but two, more importantly, um, film, which is a whole nother animal. And then we had to take a parallel track of diplomacy to engage with the Houthis, the rebel held, held uh, group in the North who holds 70% or more of the country um, under their control. And so you have to sort of do a negotiation on both sides to um, try to convince them that what you're doing is, is a value and convince them to give you the paperwork to get in. So that's the first step. And that took us it took us over eight months to go through that process to um, to just get permission to be there. But just as important, of course, um, was the relationships we were building with our subjects, right? With those who we wanted to collaborate with. And that was just as delicate in a completely different way because of the nature of Hunger Ward and because of the intimate nature of, of being in these clinics with families and with doctors and nurses as they're treating children primarily who are, um, you know, on the, the doorstep of death, frankly. And and those relationships were very delicate. And we wanted to make sure that it, if we were going to do this story, we were only going to do it if it, it were if it were a deeply collaborative process. And that meant that we had to build these relationships um, and take the time to do that. So um, that took a lot of time and, and we invested in it deeply. Did the fact that your previous films, and I'm thinking particularly of Lifeboat, which in my mind, doesn't take a political slant or perspective on the issues of refugees. You think that they took the time to look at your kind of previous body of work? What do you, because you're an, you're an American going into a situation, it can be a polarizing uh, situation. I'm just kind of curious if you think your ability to get into that country um, had anything to do with your previous work, because it's been very empathetic. Well, yeah, I think I'm glad you used that word because, um, I mean, that's this whole trilogy was really meant to be personally for me as a filmmaker, an empathy machine, right? I mean, uh, that that's a term that I just have come to over the years. The last thing I want to do is create a didactic film. My intent with the entire trilogy is to put the viewer in each of these three locations and immerse the viewer in the space and keep you there for long enough so you can really hopefully have this visceral sense of what it's like to be, um, at least for a moment, an asylum seeker in a raft on the Mediterranean, right? Or a patient on the Syrian-Turkish border for 50 feet from Syria, or in this case, in, in a malnutrition ward in Yemen, either the north or the south, and what it's like to live in these wards and be on, on death's doorstep um, with sort of the mortars pounding outside. Um, and, and so I think the, the fact that um, our intent is on some level humanitarian, right? Uh, cinematic, but humanitarian in intent. I think that probably did help us in terms of access, as well as building the relationship with our, with our collaborators as well. Because we didn't go in saying that, you know, we're going to tell the entire history of the geopolitical war surrounding this, right? right. Um, that's not going to be our focus. But hopefully at the end of the film, you would want some of those questions would be raised, right? Exactly. So that people would want to know. And I always feel like that's part of my job as a filmmaker is to pose questions. 
and that if if you get to the end of one of these films and you have a lot of questions that that are sort of burning to be answered, then I feel like I've done my job. Well, after I watched the film, I went and started looking up things. You know, some of it had to do with our preparation for our interview, but also I I felt like I had to know more, and so it that was the reaction I had to it. Oh, great. Uh, yeah. I want to talk about, you mentioned some of the subjects in the film. Sadaka Hospital in Aden is one of the locations where you film. And there we meet Dr. Ada Al-Sadiq, who she's the supervisor of the hospital. We're sort of dropped right in the middle of what I assume is not all that unusual of a day for the people who are working there and watching um, the, the these very young children come in, as you said, 10-year-old weighing 24 pounds, um, and it just drops you right in the middle of it. And tell me what, what struck you. What, what, was, what was your reaction? You and your, your cinematographer, um, Jeffrey Ball, you, the two of you working in this environment, what is going through your mind as a filmmaker but also as a human being? Part, part, part of what I love about being a filmmaker is, um, is filming. Right is um, is is the relationships that and the friendships that I always gain from from doing a project, and um, and and the piece of being in the field is is the part that I've always loved the most, and 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 if I'm honest with you, um, this was probably maybe the only film I've ever done where I really didn't enjoy the filming of the documentary itself because of what you're experiencing now, right? It, it's it's difficult to witness and bear witness to a child die in front of you of starvation for lack of nutrients. And during the course of our time filming Hunger Ward, we witnessed that three different times of children literally just passing away in front of us, but then also bearing witness to the the incredible depth of grief that accompanies the loss of a child anywhere in the world right right, right. To, to bear witness and and to 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 be honored to be in the room to be allowed to witness that and and document a mother's grief when she loses her child we felt such honor to be there but such responsibility to cover it with with dignity and respect whatever we were feeling was certainly subsumed by the incredible grief and loss of those we were working with. Yeah. So was it difficult? Sure. But it was nothing compared to those who see it every day or to the mothers who had just lost a child. Yeah. One of the things that uh, I was struck by was watching uh, Dr. Al-Sadiq and her, just the way that she, you could tell how close she was to just not being able to hold up a brave front for these parents and yet and then the the staff we you know it's you're in it you're as you're watching hunger ward you're in the middle of all of this uh the chaos but also the triumph at times when you see people come in young children come in who are getting some measure of help and also just the the normalcy of parents who are absolutely completely out of their mind about how their child is not is not doing well or is not could die any minute so it it drops you right in the middle of it and uh 
Yeah, I can only imagine what it would be like as just, even though you are there as an observer, as someone who's documenting this for a very good reason, to not completely unravel in the process. So, Yeah, you know, I think there's this, I, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago when I was talking to someone, but there's, there's actually a researcher here in Oregon at the University of Oregon who, who wrote this really great piece. He sort of studies PTSD and sort of public response to um, large-scale tragedies. He, he uses this term psychic numbing, right, to describe this idea that when we are bombarded with statistics, right? If, if, we, if we hear that a hundred people were killed in some horrible event somewhere in the world, then we, we can kind of distance ourselves from it because the number is so great. And, and yet if, if it's a single person, right? If it's a single human being that we can focus on, we, we react differently to that, right? Because it's, it's, it's a unique individual that we can somehow engage with in a different way. And it's, the scale is not so great that um, we're overcome by it. And I think that to me is one of the great tragedies that's happened in, in Yemen in, in the past several years is that, you know, there are these incredible statistics of so many thousands of children of discrete, unique human beings who have passed away from starvation, children, right? And right. Yet, yet we become psychically numb to that because the numbers are so big. How do you wrap your head around? How do you solve world hunger, right? And 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 my view is is we have to look at the individuals, right? We have to look at the singularity of a human being in order to really understand what that means, right? Yeah. To, to feel like we can engage on some level. And that's what we tried to do in the film, right? By finding these individuals. All of that. All of that, in addition to the the hospital at Aden, uh, there's another clinic hospital. I don't know exactly how to describe the. If there is a difference between the two. Awesome clinic. What was the difference? And that looked like a more rural in, in situation environment. You didn't have any infrastructure beyond much beyond that clinic, I'm sure. And then we're we're with Sadiq. You had a you had a city, some version of a city around it. So, in terms of the the kind of uh, people that were coming into the clinic, just the logistics of being in a, in a in a in that very different environment. Yeah, there's 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 um there's some sh there's shared challenges between the hospital and the clinic, um, and, and then there's some real differences, like you've noted. One of them is that the the hospital in the south of the country is is in an urban environment. You're right. It's right. it's. It's in a city, in the largest city in the south. And then the Aslam Clinic in the north is very much a rural clinic, um, very distant from highly populated areas. So there's the, there's the you know, the urban and the rural, you know, difference between. But, but just as important is that the, the hospital in the south, it's in the south of the country, which is the, the controlled by the globally recognized government. Um, supported by Saudi Arabia and others. And then the clinic in the north is, is in the Houthi-held or the Ansar Allah-held area, which controls 70% of the country. And so they're different governments, right? Different de facto governments. What we were trying to do by showcasing these two malnutrition centers in different parts of the country in part and in subtle ways was to show that the same story was unfolding regardless of what government um, had control over the area because the problems are the same in both clinics regardless whether you're under the rebels or whether you're under the the Hadi government's area children are dying for the same reasons we wanted to show that that it wasn't just happening in one area of the country so, so there are some real similarities, but, but really the same sort of problems are faced by both areas. 
I've studiously avoided the politics of all of this. We have talked, obviously we've talked a little bit about it. In the time that you first went there to today, what is the situation better or worse? Is it status quo? What What is it like since you've seen some kind of an arc to this horrific war? A war that if you asked a hundred Americans, I doubt more than five or six of them would know what the hell you were even talking about, which is, don't get me started on that part of it, but that's, that it's just the situation, that's the world we live in. But just in terms of your own personal observations about where you started when you first got there and where we are today. Well, um, yeah, it's gone from bad to worse. Okay. Um, and I wish in, in the, in the 30,000 foot view, it's gone from bad to worse, but there is hope on the horizon and this is why. So, it, and also the individual stories that we tell, even though there are just horrific moments where children do die in the film, there's also, you know, some of the subjects that we showcase, Omema and Abir, um, they, they both um, recover. And the, there's wonderful news on that front is that, is that both of them are, are steadily recovering and are in, in actually quite healthy young girls now. That's fantastic. Um, and, and continue to be monitored from afar and sometimes in person by the medical professionals at Sadaka and Aslam. And, you know, I receive photos of them from time to time from their family and from the doctors and the nurse, and they look like completely different girls. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, it is, it is fantastic. So, so there's hope, right? There's hope on the individual level. COVID, we, we left the country uh, almost exactly a year ago and, and, re- and got back into the States right before the pandemic kind of shut down international air travel. And then COVID hit the country. So COVID, you know, even though the public statistics are not, uh, are not good or accurate, it really devastated the country um, okay. and took a ride, wide swath because they just they weren't prepared to treat patients. So that that took a hit. But even more importantly, what happened was that the last half of 2020, most of the global donors who were funding the humanitarian aid to the country, the world food, including the World Food Program, their funding goals weren't met. The usual donors who step up to pay for some of the humanitarian didn't do it. So the UAE. Saudi Arabia, the U.S. only paid a small portion of what we had committed to. And so the level of humanitarian going to these clinics and other clinics in the country was halved, I think, is is what the final numbers were. So that really made it more difficult for the doctors that you see in the film to properly treat their patients. So that's the bad news. The good news is that there are over 200 civil society organizations here in the U.S. alone that are members of the, the Yemeni diaspora and other engaged groups like, you know, Friends Committee for National Legislation and the Yemeni uh, Reconstruction Foundation that are working really hard to pressure the Biden administration, senators and reps to reverse course on U.S. policy in Yemen. And as you probably know, really quickly, that happened publicly, his first major um, press conference, he said, we're going to end all offensive operations in Yemen. And so we've been a part of that movement, using the film as a vehicle, doing doing conversations with policymakers. We had Andrew Mitchell from the UK Parliament come in and other policymakers. And then we brought in a lot of specialists and speakers. And we use these as panels. And then we push the film with policymakers, including the Biden administration. So we're really 
happy and proud to be part of that movement. And it's moving the needle. So that public statement was important. And now now the goal is to really keep the pressure on to ensure political follow through. So there's hope on the horizon, because if the US truly does pull out fully and stops providing cover for Saudi Arabia and UAE in this in this in, in terms of their foreign intervention then actually things can improve because if foreign powers pull out of Yemen then the country's going to be able to stabilize frankly and create its own new self-generated government and start to fix some of these problems in a way only they can well that is fantastic news congratulations to you congratulations on staying with it and putting yourself in a position to meet with some of these people my political instinct tells me that the Biden administration is going to be doing a lot of things, not only just to kind of reverse the last four years of insane and cruel policies, but also I think they're going to be much more proactive about these things. And uh, that's my sense. I hope I'm right. No, I agree. I agree. I think you're right. Uh, I want to thank you so much for Hunger Ward and for Lifeboat and 50 Feet from Syria, as well as Finding Face. These four films, and I'm sure you're working on some other incredible stuff, uh, and I'm so thrilled that uh, you were able to find some time to come back and join us. The film, again, is Hunger Ward, and the, the director of the film, as well as producer, is Sky Fitzgerald. You can go to hungerward.org to find out more about the film. You can also go to spinfilm.org to find out more about the extensive body of work that Sky has been a part of, working with a lot of wonderful uh, different uh, distribution outlets and media operations. So uh, to get the word out about just what a what a wonderful heart you have, Sky and I appreciate it. Once again, thank you so much for being here on Film School Radio. Uh, it's it's my honor to be here, Mike. Thanks a bunch. <laughs>